last week when we started, I asked you about some of your heroes in the faith. And you may have noticed, I thought about it this week, I believe all of them were men's folks, weren't they? So it seems appropriate, since today is Mother's Day, to talk about maybe some of your heroes in the faith that are the ladies, the women of the Scripture. So you got one? Ruth, Esther, such a timely pick. If Jesus is the Sunday school answer last week, Mary is the Sunday school answer. Sarah, good one. Hannah, Samuel's mom. Yeah, her, her, yeah, yeah, good, 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 good. One more, just one more. Deborah, the uh, the judge. Interesting. Now somebody done read my sermon that week and think that the bar is too low. Okay. Now I was wondering if anybody else had any because interestingly enough, the person I want to talk about today shows up in the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew chapter one. Matthew's going to tell us the generations that lead up to Jesus. Now, Mary shows up. Yes, of course, she shows up in that list. And I believe, does, does Sarah show up as well? No, she doesn't. Doesn't show up. So, Mary shows up. We expect that. But there are actually, besides Mary, four women who show up in this genealogy. Now, the first thing you need to know is that's pretty remarkable. In the, the days of Israel, in that culture, uh, it would be, I don't want to say women were thought less of, but they were treated often with the same respect as men. And, and Matthew, writing his gospel, is writing a very Jewish gospel. He's the most Jewish of the gospel writers. His presentation has a, a flair to those who are Jewish. And so as you go through his genealogy in chapter 1 and you see the inclusion of ladies' names, first of all, that's going to raise wave a red flag at you. Say, wait, that's unusual. You wouldn't expect that. You wouldn't expect the ones that show up in here. But, but on top of that, some of them are actually Gentiles. Do we have any Gentiles in here? Oh, good. You're, you're among us. Thank you. Yes. Gentile. Now, for a Jewish writer talking about a Jewish Messiah to include Gentile women, somebody mentioned Ruth earlier, she's in that list, I believe, she's the, as the genealogy of Jesus. That's pretty remarkable. Rahab, also a Gentile woman. And the other thing that's most remarkable is three of the women that are mentioned, let's say they have stories. called Rahab the harlot. 
prostitution, the other fifteen percent made from their bags. You know, I want to look at her today. Fascinating story of Rahab. She shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, some people say these ladies are the mothers of Jesus in kind of a, a, a liturgical way, but but here we have this picture, this person who shows up, Rahab, in, in Matthew chapter one, verses five and six. We're not going to read those real quick. Actually, what I want to do is read. Rahab's story to you. We're not going to put this, the, the words up on the screen. It's in Joshua chapter 2. I'm just going to read it. If you want to follow along in, in your copy of the Bible, that's fine. Or if you just want to hear it, either way, just listen to the story of Rahab and refresh our memory so we're all on the same page. It says in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof, Rahab did, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on you so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window to the house she lived in as part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. And then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if if a hand is laid on us. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills towards the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. 
what happens in chapter 6 when they come back from Canaan. But why would we pick Rahab? Not the one that probably you thought this morning, oh, I hope when I go to church, she's going to preach a Mother's Day sermon about individual in Scripture plays a huge part and I think has a lot to teach us. This story itself is a remarkable story. One of the, the features of it is the spies are from Israel headed into the land. And it's almost kind of a bracket to their experience. If you remember, we could back up right after Israel leaves Egypt. God delivers them from Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. And what does Moses do? If you remember, he sends spies into the land. He's going to send them in there to see uh, about the land. And they find some amazing things. They find that, in fact, the land is just as good as promised. The land is, as is often described, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they prove it by bringing back a bunch of grapes. Now, as you're familiar with the story, you know this isn't the kind of bunch of grapes we would bring. In fact, the bunch of grapes they bring back is so large that two men have to carry it on a pole between them. Now, I don't know what one of those grapes was, how big it was, but I know the bunch was massive. And it said to everybody in the camp of Israel, this land that God has promised to us is better than advertised. It's everything God has promised. And so you would think there'd be some excitement in the men. There's just one problem. The spies go and they see the abundance of the land, but they also see the people that live in the land. And particularly it says about one group of people the, the Nephilim that were the giants, the spies come back and report to Moses, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we were to them. And so the first time the spies enter the land, they come back, most of them scared. Of the 12 spies that go in, 10 of them vote, no, please don't make us go fight those big boys. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, vote, yes, we can do it, God has given us the land. So that's the first time. The second time they come, the spies are going in. Similar mission, only it's more particularly aimed at Jericho. We're going to go see this city, Jericho, this walled city, this fortified city that will be one of the first cities, one of the first places we have to confront and conquer to receive the land that is the inheritance God has promised. And the spies go in there, and the message is the exact opposite. This time it's not the Israelites who are quaking in their boots. The spies find out it's the people of Jericho that are scared. They have melted in fear because of the news of the Israelites. Really remarkable, the turnaround there. And so, if nothing else today, we could just look at Joshua chapter 2, and, and moms would maybe could take this, this uh, principle away, something that, that I'm sure all of us need a reminder of, and it's simply this. God nothing else you hear today, and there's more hopefully we'll get to, you can take comfort in that, moms. God keeps His promises. What God has said He will do. He made Israel a promise, and though the timing might not have exactly been to their preference, He made sure His purposes and His promises would be fulfilled. And so as moms, as you think about the potential in your kids, and as you watch them grow up and sometimes make really, really good decisions, and sometimes, like all of us today, just get back. How many of you have made decisions your mom probably walked through the Red Sea? Anyone? Anyone at all? No, 
I don't have to say it was like yesterday. I'm just saying in general. Yeah. All of us have made decisions and it's good to know that God keeps his promises even when our decisions seem to get in the way of what God is up to. The spies were intended to not to do what God had said. Ultimately, when they came back, God's purposes and promises prevailed as they escaped. But, but let's zero in on, on Rahab and some of the features of her story. It tells us, as we've already said, that she was a prostitute. Or another, some versions have a note in the bottom that says kinswoman. And one of the reasons I think the spies ended up in her place is because, well, where do you go when you go to a strange city that a lot of out-of-towners go to? A hotel. Yeah. Okay, you remember the word. Come on now. <laughs> but also, she may go there. She, that was the place where they could think they could blend in. And, and they need to blend in because the story tells us the king of Jericho knows they're there, knows they're coming. There's a problem. He's going to be looking for them, and he's going to send out people to look for them. Maybe another reason they went to, uh, to, to Rahab's place is because the, the Bible tells us she, she lived in the wall. I don't know if they had scouted that out or thought about that, but one of the things you might want to do when the king of the town is looking for you, and you know if he finds you, you're going to be in big trouble, is find a place that has an easy escape route. And so her house in the wall with a window that leads to outside the city made perfect sense. And the other thing that tells us, though, about her is her socioeconomic status. She wasn't exactly the wealthiest person in town. She wasn't exactly the most well-respected person in town. Those folks lived more toward the center of the town, not in the wall. The further out or the closer to the wall you were, the less standing you would have in town. And so, you know, she's not exactly a well-thought-of in town. She's not exactly the wealthiest or, or whatever. But these, this is where the spies find themselves. And we kind of see the story in the first seven verses. You can feel the tension building. The spies have come to town. The king knows they're in town. They go to, to Rahab's place, and she hides them on the roof. And the men of the city go to Rahab's place, thinking they've seen them go in there and ask Rahab, where are these men? Give them up. And Rahab can't give them up or doesn't give them up, but instead deceives the men of the town and says, oh, they went that away. If you hurry, you'll catch them. And then we get to verse 7, and it stops. Which is something that you've seen happen a lot. There was a movie that came out Friday. You may have heard of it. Um, Don't tell me you haven't. Okay, so a lot of these Marvel or superhero action movies if you're watching them, you know, all this action is building and building and building and there's tension. But then sometimes the action stops. In the middle of a fight scene, when you're kind of on the edge of your seat, everything stops and there's an interaction. There's a discussion. There's a conversation. Why do filmmakers do that? Because by doing that, it draws all your attention to what's about to happen. Something significant. If you're in the middle of a big battle scene and then the battle quiets down and people start talking, that's when you go get popcorn. But usually that's when something key to the story is about to happen. The filmmaker has done it to build tension, to get your, to get your focus so that now he can deliver the thing that he wants you to see. And that's exactly what the writer of Joshua does here. At verse 7, the action stops because we need to focus on what's really important, the conversation that's about to happen. 
Now, in this conversation is a remarkable exchange between Rahab and the spies. And in it, we see the key, we see the reason why Rahab would show up in the genealogy of Jesus. Not because she's simply a Gentile, although that's significant. That says to everybody, the message of Jesus goes beyond just the people of Israel. It's for everybody. It's in God's intent. And not just because she's a a woman that is called a prostitute or a harlot, although that's significant because it's good to know that God can redeem even the worst thing we've done and use it for his glory and his purposes to make sure he keeps his promises. But because she's going to say something so important, so theologically weighty that the author of Joshua doesn't want us to miss it. And in verses 9, 10, and 11, Rahab professes her faith. And listen to what she says. We're going to look at these verses together. Verse 9 of Joshua chapter 2, we hear her say, and I think it's even in the screen, And Rahab said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great Fear has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. I want you to notice the word Lord there. If you see it on the screen, it's in all caps. Most of your Bibles might have it in small caps. You're looking at that. That's a significant word. The reason it's capitalized like that is because this word for God or Lord is a very specific word. It's the word we think is pronounced Yahweh, the covenant name of God. We don't, I say we think it's pronounced because we actually don't know. In Hebrew, um, the, the writers of Scripture would not write this word properly. It's made up of four consonants, Y-H-W-H, and in English is what you would say, uh, Yod-Heh, Vav-Heh, if you want to throw a little Hebrew out. Didn't think so. Okay. Um, but those are the letters. And then what they would do, they revered the name of God so much that they wouldn't write the right vowel points with it. In Hebrew, the vowel points go above and below the line. And so they wouldn't write those vowel points. They'd often write the vowel points of another Hebrew word, like Elohim or Adonai, with the consonant for Yahweh. So the best guess you have is it is probably Yahweh. That's because not only would they not write it, they wouldn't say it. In fact, today, if you see a, a, a devout Jewish person write the word God, they, they don't spell it out. They'll often write G-D. Even in English, the word God, they won't write out because it has significance. And it was the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, right before he was to go to Egypt and confront Pharaoh, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh has sent me? Who are the people going to believe has sent me to do this great thing? And God says to him, tell them I am has sent you. It's the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And this Gentile of the city of Jericho, this person who has no connection to the people of Israel. Israel's been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and then wandering in the wilderness for another 40 or so. And her whole life they've been at a distance from her, and yet she knows the covenant name of God. She says, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, not just any God, but the God of Israel, has given this land to you. We are afraid. Next verse, she goes on and says in verse 10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. The, the news has traveled. We know what happened. We know your history. 
we see that the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the covenant God of Israel, the one true God, as we would say, is with you and has given you victory. And so she says in verse 11, an even greater profession of faith, when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then listen to how she finishes. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. For Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is the creator and Lord of everything, even Jericho, even we Gentile unbelievers, even we inside our walled city who count on its fortifications for our protection, even we who have gone about our business thinking that this wall would protect us from you. No, we actually don't think that. Our hearts are melting. We're scared to death because your God is God. And I recognize it. I recognize the covenant God of Israel as the creator God of heaven and earth. Notice that Rahab doesn't just show up in Joshua chapter 2 and a few chapters later in chapter 6. She doesn't just show up in the genealogy of Jesus. But she also shows up in two other places in the New Testament, one of which is James chapter 3. The brother of Jesus writing as a leader of the early church as he's talking about what what is faith and what kind of what does faith look like? And, you know, faith without works is dead is typically what we say. But who should he use as the example of a person who's put her faith in action but, any guesses? This comedian. Really, I promise you. You're going to get it right. I know not. Okay, we'll see. James chapter 2, it says this. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off empty handed? So Rahab becomes an example of a person who had faith, and we see it in this confession of faith that she recognizes the value, the place, and the authority of God, and she proclaims it to them. And that was, I think, as, as moms today, let me encourage you. This kind of thing that she talks about, this faith that sees God as the covenant God, the God who institutes relationship with us made in His image, the God who reaches down to Israel and throughout history uses them to bring about the gift of His Son, Jesus, the Messiah, and offers to us the privilege of calling Him our Father, Abba Father even, as the same God in whom you can place your trust and to whom you can call, the same God who keeps His promises. And when we proclaim our faith, God notices it. Notice it was how she acted particularly that made such a huge difference. She risked everything. She risked her life particularly to do this. If the people of your town sent by the king come knocking on your door and say, we've got spies here that are going to try to overthrow the city. If you know where they are, you better tell us. It would seem like if you don't give them up, you would be in trouble, right? Probably not the most expedient way to behave. But she risked it because of her faith in this God. She sees not the authority of Jericho's king or the men who knock on her door, but the authority of the God of Israel, the covenant God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And that is a remarkable thing that we see. Now, what happens to this? It's actually an interesting story. What is the, the sign? When, when Israel finally invades Jericho, she's to put a scarlet cord tied to the window that she lets the men down on. Now, have you ever thought about this? How is Jericho defeated, according to Elder Preston? Is it 
after the people had marched around them for seven days, and then it tells us in verse 31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, when she, because she welcomed the spies, was not hid with those who were disobedient. She shows up in Hebrews 11. She's, in fact, she's the last of the specific stories that are mentioned. After that, it says, well, I could tell you about this and that and the other and this person who did this and did that. In fact, Hebrews 11 in some ways has a woman near the beginning and a woman as the last one that's mentioned. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I mean, if it's not, that's fine. I have been a nerd and I have thought something was cool and it wasn't, so I'm comfortable with it. I say have been like I have. Moving on, what was it that would commend her so that even the writer of the most faithful people, when he lists them, would include them? I think it was what we all have to do at some point. She shifted her allegiance. She saw that out there in the world, she had been exposed her whole life to a way of thinking. In Jericho, in the land of Canaan, there were a variety of gods. There were a variety of systems of belief. Belief she had probably practiced or at least knew about some, but somewhere along the way. And we happen to see the snapshot of it in Joshua chapter 2. She shifted her allegiance to whatever gods she had served or known about before and saw that God desired this covenant God of Israel to enter into her life and to uniquely honor her faith, to protect her, that she would act as the representative of her family and that she would provide protection for them by her faith. She would defy the king of Jericho and the men who knocked on her door to live the kind of life that God could later say, by faith, Rahab did this. Now, why is Hebrews 11 there? Because of how Hebrews 12 starts. How did it start? Very quickly. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I've just told you all of these stories. I've just told you all these people of faith. They are the, the picture is you are in the arena, the Olympics earlier this year. I told you last week I like to watch marathons, and one of the big events of the Olympics is the, the marathon, and, and I believe it usually ends in what, the Olympic Stadium. Am I right? Maybe, maybe you've got one or two here. I have one. They end in the stadium, and this is the picture, the, the picture of the marathon runners as they near the end, and you've run 26.2 miles when you cross that finish line. So can you imagine the boost that must come as the leaders, having wandered through the streets, in this case of Rio, and now they're making their way, and the stadium looms in the distance, and they enter in under the passageway into this, this stadium. How is the crowd going to react? The crowd is just going to go crazy for these winners, these leaders, as they push towards that last two-tenths of a mile toward the finish line. The crowd is cheering them on. They've left it all out there, 26 miles of running, now just a short distance left, and they're being cheered on. That's awesome. We have, no matter where we are in our life, run what feels like a long way. And I know for moms, the burdens that you carry sometimes are particularly heavy. You feel things that we dads don't even notice. favorite question in my house and I just usually get this I don't know what that means but I know it means stop asking that question we don't even know you moms feel things you moms know things you moms deal with things when you know listen I, I like football right and 
You know what gets me? Every wise man should get me. But what do the players always say after they score a touchdown? Is it, hi, Dad? Thanks for teaching me all the skills to play football, Dad. Thanks for those days out in the yard when you threw those passes to me over and over and over. No, it's, hi, Mom. Because Mom, right? Dad might have caught some chills, but Mom was the one when, when you know, the boo-boo happened. What does dad say? Oh, shake it off. You'll be fine. He's like, oh, come on, kids. Let me, let me just let me make it funny. I can't even do it right. It's just no justice to him. I mean, just in that moment, there's something about that mom's affection, that mom's love. And what you go through with your kids is somehow the marathon distance pales in comparison. And I want to tell you today, the picture you should see is people like Rahab. And all the others listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith, as you have endured, and maybe you're ready to quit, and you maybe think, it doesn't matter what I've done, and there's nothing I can do to change this, and how is this going to turn out? I can only see bad. You can be encouraged, that you can throw off that which hinders, and you can run with perseverance, because the crowd all around you of these faithful forefathers and foremothers are going wild over you as the leader, as the faithful, as the one who is trying to finish the race that God has set out for you. What a great privilege it is to be a mom. And what great faith it takes to live out motherhood in this world. And what great encouragement we can receive from those who went before, people like Rahab, Ruth, and I'm sure was an afterthought in her time at the very least, was one that was on the outskirts because that's probably where she lived most of her life socially, economically, but ultimately made the list of those that the writer of Hebrews would say is a witness that is calling out and cheering for you as you do and as you run the race in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that we can get from it. I thank you that in it we can find the accounts of the lives of people like Rahab. God, that, that while we often think of her and describe her with a word that, that sounds negative, Lord, as you remember her, you don't see her that way. You see her as a person of faith one who made that incredible confession, yet, and as James reminded us, lived out by her actions the faith she professed. The faith that provided protection even for those in need. Thank you that in many families, Father, that is the way that moms are raised. Who is our example of what? Who can enjoy such a privilege 